This is The Water Podcast. I'm Robbie Venus. It was 2014, and Nembrus had just moved to Longquito. And that time, I was working with environmental NGO, non-governmental organization, about global warming and environment, as improving the environment in schools. But what she really wanted to do is have a school of her own. She wanted to create a place where children could come and get high-quality education to set them on the right path forward. A place for children to thrive. So she started small. In my mind, I had this vision of having a school, of building a school. And when I get a house, a house for rent, I decided to implement my vision and to work as a school. The same house, it was the living house and the classroom. But there was always one challenge that she was very anxious about. Water. After experiencing multiple family members falling ill to typhoid... I could not drink water from the tap in Longido and could not dare to give the students water from the tap. As myself, I could not drink it. So she decided to take action. She bought this technology called a ceramic water filter from a friend in Arusha, one of the same filters that are at the center of this research project. And for a while, that worked fine. But the children become many. They increase, the number increase. So the house could not be enough anymore. And then I struggled to build these two classrooms. And then I shifted from the living house to school. So when I come to school, it was hard environment, so we did not have enough water to drink. So I used to filter water the whole night. I could sleep at sometimes even at one, waiting for water to fill the bottles so that I could bring to school. I met Nembris a few months later. And thanks to the generous donations that this project has received, we were able to provide them with two filters in 2018 and another one in 2019. I'm happy here at school because at the beginning, if the water I bring from home could not be enough. Myself, I don't feel, I feel pity, I feel passion to let the children drink the water which I can see is not much clean. But what I can see it for my school after having the ceramic water filters, because here at Longido is very hot. And remember when you are thirsty, you can't even play, you can't talk. So when the children were not having enough water, they used to complain and others decide to sleep on the desk. But now because they have enough water, they are free to play, they are free to study. And when it is so sunny, they drink enough water, and I can see it gives them good health. And beyond the actual water, just by having the filters around and seeing the difference between the water that goes in and what comes out, and by participating in education programs that I've done with them, as well as ones put together by Nembris and her teachers, these students understand the value of clean water, and now they're motivating their families to drink clean water as well. Another thing, the children are also taking the, uh, what they get from school to their families. Even the, some of the parents used to call me that the children are refusing to take water here at home. And what they do, they normally take the empty bottles. They say, we have clean and safe water at school. We can't drink water here. Which in this community is a really big deal. But 
I think that it's important to make note that the success of the filters with Nembris in her school is in no small part a result of the fact that one, though she couldn't afford to buy more, she could afford to buy the first filter for her family and students. And two, she has a high level of education and already deeply values safe drinking water. And as you'll learn in this show, most of the people that we work with are not in either of those positions. But still, this story, though small in scale, is an example of what this research is all about. It's about how the right technology in the right context with the right support can meaningfully mobilize social change towards a lifestyle of improved health. It's about the value of education, both formal and informal. And it's about the importance that the dollar value of a technology has towards its proliferation. It's about water. This is the second episode of a three-part series on water and my PhD research in Longido, Tanzania. So if you haven't heard the first episode, you can find it on our website at watercarlton.org slash podcast. In it, I spoke all about the challenges that Longido residents and rural Tanzanians in general face in regards to water and showed just how much water influences their lives. In this episode, I'm going to go through the approach with which we've chosen to tackle some of those challenges. And what I just want to make note of here is that this approach is really different than what is found from many other organizations working in this domain. A big reason for producing this podcast, even, is to communicate that this work is really unique, as it combines science, engineering, technology, history, geography, ethnography, and a host of other related and interconnected factors towards a singular goal of improved health for low-income folks in a rural and marginalized community. The structure we have created is based on years of consulting with Tanzanian stakeholders, and the principles we are establishing are intended to act as a model for improved development practices in other geographies. Because this is a project about change. And it all starts with a tool that Nembris was using in her school. A technology called the ceramic water filter. What you're hearing is a mixture of clay, sawdust, water, and colloidal silver. Together, they make up the components of a ceramic water filter. And it looks just like any clay flower pot, but it can remove bacteria from water to make it safe to drink. And it does this by two simple mechanisms. Size exclusion and disinfection. Size exclusion means that the pores in the filter are so small that the bacteria in the water aren't able to pass through. And that's because the sawdust in the mixture burns away when the pot is put in the kiln, leaving a network of pores throughout the clay mold. Disinfection is a result of the colloidal silver. During the actual filtering process, some silver leaches out from the pot into the water in the receiving bucket, which kills any bacteria that may have passed through the pores. This process is much like the one happening in a swimming pool when chlorine is added, but the concentration of silver is much lower than that of chlorine. Together, these mechanisms ensure that the filters are providing safe and clean water for users to drink. But there are challenges. Actually, the major obstacles are the price. Mm -hmm. You know that the price of the filter is 90,000 shillings. Uh, ordinary people can't afford it. This is Kim. Uh, my name is Kim. I'm from Arusha. Professionally, I'm a potter. And Weston. My name is Liston. I'm originally from Nairobi, but I've also been here in Arusha for quite a number of years. 
and we've been working with Silverwater Ceramics um, for about four years now. Kim is the founder and owner of Winewater East Africa, formerly known as Safe Water Ceramics of East Africa, or SWECA, and Liston is their business manager. There are industrial partners in this work. And what they're saying is a sentiment that we've heard over and over again from people in Longido. It is expensive capital, money, to buy the filters. For the local people, it's exp- they are expensive. So our partnership with Kim and Liston and the rest of the team at Wine to Water is to take on this challenge and try to bring that cost down. We're focusing on silver, which accounts for 40% of the cost of the filter production through a series of laboratory experiments in which I'm looking at how to adjust the silver content in the filter without compromising its bacteria removal effectiveness. And I really want to emphasize just how important this part of the research is. Because in Tanzania and other low-income countries like it, the lack of access to safe drinking water is not just a challenge that exists in a vacuum, but it's deeply entwined with poverty. And here, I'm not talking about poverty as just a measure of financial status, but as a culmination and integration of culture, ethnicity, politics, gender, history, and geography with economic woes to form a social structure that is poverty. And so if we're looking to really increase access to safe water in this country and create a sustainable system that ensures long-term adoption of ceramic water filters and facilitates long-term changes to health outcomes, people need to be able to afford them. The donation model, where people from countries like Canada pay for filters in places like Longido, though truly necessary now, is just not sustainable in the long term. Change has to come from within if it's going to last, which is why our partnership with this local company with local perspective and long-term goals is paramount to making sustainable change for improved access to safe water. And it's through that partnership where we're trying to make these filters more affordable for the Tanzanian poor that we're able to take this important step in the right direction. But there's another important point. The biggest challenge is always to educate and to train the people on what it is for them to understand. But of course, the first thing is to, for people to be aware that there is a problem in drinking water which is not clean. And he says that because for many of those who lack access to safe water, the concept of dirty water versus clean water just doesn't exist. In the Maasai, the group with whom we do most of this work in Longido is a great example of that phenomenon. Because traditionally, as a pastoralist culture, they don't really subscribe to Western monetary economics, but rather have historically used livestock as a currency and operated within a quasi-trade and barter system, where cattle are worth X and goats are worth Y and so on. And as a result, first... They often don't keep much, if any, monetary currency available for spending. And second, they generally value their livestock more than their market value because of their emotional and cultural ties to the animals. And that also translates to a prioritization of animals over monetary economic gains. And so when choosing a place to live, they build their semi-permanent homes, called bomas, in areas that have a lot of grass for their livestock to graze. And because grazing land is prioritized, it means traditional Maasai tend to live in more remote areas, which are further from services like schools, businesses, electricity, and of course, water. 
And to me, that distance is both literal and metaphorical. And by that I mean that the distance is exemplary of their valuing of certain amenities over others. For example, living far away from a water source is okay, because collecting water is women's work, and in the patriarchal Maasai society, the burden of collecting it is not valued as highly as the flourishment of livestock. Similarly, for schools, living far away from schools doesn't matter because going to school is not considered as important as keeping cattle well fed. And so people don't gain access to education that can help them understand more about things like health and safety or to progress in a liberal economic system. Now, I think it's important to note that these attitudes are changing, largely due to the great work from our community partners at Tembo. But, of course, change is slow, and these ideas are still certainly persistent throughout the community. And so coming back to my original point on the culture of poverty, a lack of monetary spending capacity mixed with limited to no formal education and a strong system of traditional beliefs and practices all come together to form a life world in which knowledge on topics like water and health have just never been introduced into their psyche. Knowledge that we, in the West, take for granted. And so for their entire lives, they and everyone they've ever known have gone to a water source and just taken the water as is. Perhaps if they or someone they know has suffered from typhoid or cholera, they'll know that water can make you sick. But still, it is very common for people to just think that water is water. Not dirty, not clean, just water. A liquid thing. And so... They need education so that they can move from the perspective of having water as a liquid thing mm-hmm. and they come to the perspective of safe water. This is Mary Lizer. My name is Mary Lizer. I'm born at Namanga village in Longudo district and I'm a Maasai. Also, I'm working at Tembo as a community facilitator. As I said... Tembo, or Tanzania Education and Microbusiness Opportunity, is our community partner and really is integral to the success of our programs in Longido. As a long-standing NGO, Tembo has really become a community institution that has the trust and support of people in Longido. And that trust and support is what has facilitated the progress of this research to where it is today. And that progress is in no small part because of the work of Mary specifically, who for years in this role has been engaging with members of the community every day to try to teach them what she calls life skills, to help mobilize change and support people so that they can have their basic human rights like water, shelter, healthy food, and safety. And in our conversation, Mary continued to explain to me that the only way that people are going to change is if they're given education on the issues with their current behaviors and an alternative to change to that doesn't disrupt their existing cultural or traditional practices, which is what we're trying to do. In our study, we're looking into different education programs that are grounded in years of prior consultation to learn how to develop a model for filter implementation that promotes long-term changes in behavior and long-term improvements in health. But it takes time because... It is not a, a simple thing. Eh? It is not like you, you, you tell them, don't do this, and you find that they are not doing, no. 
I see that you have to go slowly, going again and again, teaching again and again. And why is because Maasai culture and customs is very strong because the Maasai are living as a community people. So I'm not living only like me, Mary, but I'm living by saying that how, how Robbie feel of me if I'll change this culture. And so that means we can't just give filters and explain how they work and then move on. We need to work closely with the recipients, help them transition their lifestyle to one that includes the filter, and then follow them to see how that intervention impacted their lives so we can help other people learn from this work and spread our knowledge forward. But what's also important about this is that me, the white Canadian Robbie, can't be the face facilitating that transition. There has to be localized ownership and appropriate representation. Just like in this podcast, how, though I'm narrating and explaining things, I've tried to structure the show so that the key messages are delivered by locals. I'm trying to prop up their voices and stories instead of represent them myself in an effort to demonstrate how this work is really locally motivated and implemented. And I am truly just in a supporting role. And so similarly... Since our study is focused on low-income women that are predominantly Maasai, we need the one helping those women change their behaviors to also be a local Maasai woman that lives in the community and interacts with them regularly. We need also to have the trainer in the community that if we talk today about the importance of water, we need the other people from them who will continue to talk about that in the community. It's, it's not like a, today someone is talking about it and when someone disappeared, no one continued to teach them and talk to them. So we need to create like ambassadors who will continue to talk about safe water. So this past summer, we did just that. We hired a local Maasai woman named Neo to be our water champion and be that face and teacher that can help women transition their lifestyle. She meets study participants every week, providing them with new information about water and health in a way that can resonate with them and be useful for them in their daily lives. And really, she is amazing at this job. And so altogether... Our approach to this challenge of access to safe water is operating from what I call a holistic lens. We're taking an interdisciplinary and cross-sectional perspective where engineering, biology, chemistry, sociology, anthropology, ethnography are blended together towards a singular pursuit. We're looking at facilitating sustainable improvements in the lives of some of the poorest and most vulnerable among us in multiple ways. And all through this thing, this liquid thing, water. But the truth is, we need more help. We want to expand our study to include more women and have more filters in the community. And we want to be able to hire Neo for more time so that she can travel around the district and interact with women regularly over the study duration. We want her to be able to provide regular support to the women and the schools like Nembrises who have received filters from us, as well as help us launch new initiatives to get more people using filters in Longido. 
And we also want to be able to do really important laboratory studies so that we can confidently design the filters to be cheaper and more affordable for the people with lower incomes, bringing safe water into more homes. So if you're listening, consider donating at www.watercarlton.org and help support our effort to make long-lasting and meaningful change. Help support water. This episode of The Water Podcast was written and produced by me, Robbie Venus, with the amazing help of J.P. Davidson at Pop-Up Podcasting in Ottawa, Ontario. Special thanks to my guests Nembris Josiah Severe from Longido Modern School in Longido, Mesiaki Kimre, or Kim, and Liston Koskai from Sweka, and Mary Lizer from Tembo. Audio was also taken from my interviews with Paulina Sumayani from Tembo and Judith Malel from the local library in Longido. I also want to thank Dr. Anita Basu for her continued work and support as my research supervisor on this project. Music for this episode was provided by Blue Dot Sessions, Batchbug, and Bensound.com. In the next episode, I'll be bringing you some stories from Longido to show just how impactful your donations have been so far, and give some more information on what we want to come next. But if you want to learn more about us before that, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Water Carlton, or go to our website at www.watercarlton.org. That's www.watercarleton.org. And if you want to help us out and you contribute, click on that donation button. Or you can send me an email directly at water at watercarlton.org. Until next time, I'm Robbie Venus.